I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, welcome to Horse Hour. Today we're delving into the world of psychology. We're going deep into our brains because recently we have been talking about how our thoughts can impact our riding ability. So my guest today is Charlie Unwin. He's a performance psychologist. He's retired as an athlete because he wanted to pursue his passion in psychology. And since then, Charlie's worked with Olympic teams and athletes from five different sports. And in 2015, he contributed towards seven European gold medals. I'm thrilled to have Charlie joining us and today we're talking all about the mind. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to Horse Hour. Today we're going all into the mind because we're talking psychology. So I'd like to introduce you to Charlie Unwin. He owns Performance Legacy and this man has been all over the world helping equestrian riders and businesses with their performance. So I believe he really knows his stuff. How are you, Charlie? I'm very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Amy. Thank you. Well, I'm a little bit nervous that you're going to kind of read into my mind whilst we're talking today. So I'm hoping you're not going to do that because it could be quite scary. (laughs) Uh, you might enjoy it (laughs) (laughs) so first of all let's find out a little bit more about you and what was it originally that got you into psychology oh do you know what I was I first started reading about psychology about the age of eight I think it was I bought my first book an introduction to psychology and that was it I was hooked I can't remember what it was that that actually got me reading it in the first place but I think a kind of deep fascination with how people were why do people do what they do Mm. what must your mum have thought if I saw my eight-year-old reading a book (laughs) on psychology I think I've got a serial killer Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah everyone else is kind of reading Billy Blue Pirate and books like that and I was reading no I it was a kind of it was a genuine fascination I've always been into sports as well so I think one of the motivations was to kind of help understand. I was a very nervous competitor, actually. And and one of the things I wanted to seek to understand was um, how can I perform more consistently at my best? Um, some sports really draw that out more. Other sports, it kind of gets hidden behind all the various complexities of it. And, you know, we'll talk about riding in a moment. But um, but I, th- I think that's what it was. And and learning about back then, sports psychology certainly wasn't mainstream in the way that mm. it is now. And now you get every athlete talking about the importance of psychology. Um, I think maybe there's a little bit of difference between the importance of psychology and psychologists. And I think that the industry still has a long way to go in creating the value that I know it can do across the board in sport and all performance arenas. 
So what, what would you say is the difference between psychology and psychologists? Well, it's all about your ability to have an impact at the end of the day. That The reason I love working in sport is because people won't work with you unless you make a difference. Mm. And traditionally, psychology has been one of those industries which... It's kind of focused on the things that perhaps are less exciting to performers, to people who want to be the best in the world at what they do. Let me give you an example of that. I think the healthcare industry is, or, or good health would be defined as the absence of bad health, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it, because um, you cannot say that just because someone isn't experiencing bad health that they're healthy. Mm. Um, and so we kind of gravitate towards average, really, when we start defining things by, I don't have a problem with this, therefore I'm okay at it. So I think positive psychology and performance psychology has has started to look at the very best in the world at what they do. And, and how can we all learn lessons from that to be better at what they do? Ma- Maslow was the first psychologist who, rather than studying the kind of bottom 5% of people in academia who kind of really struggled. He wanted to know, well, what are the best people in the world doing in this arena and what can we learn from them? So I think it's a kind of industry shift as much as anything else. But ultimately, it's about having an impact and helping people perform as well as they can. It used to be quite elitist, I thought, where it was only the people at the top of their game that could actually Mm. have help and have that mental support. And what we're finding now is that it goes further down the ranks for people like me who just say I, I have problems I have I have lots of problems but you know <laughs> I, I have problems with riding I, I'm, I'm afraid I want to be able to deal with this because how am I going to improve if I can't handle my mind and my body and have almost have control over that now and so what's nice is that you know the lower ranks and the amateurs are realizing that psychology can help us and mm. um, and it's becoming a, a lot more accessible yeah, it's funny. I mean, you you talk about problems. I've uh, problems. Okay, in some ways, are unique to us. Um, but actually, most of the problems that people think they have and internalise are often things that we all go through. And it's really interesting when when I started doing workshops with equestrians, the initial uh, the initial part of the workshop were, was around getting people to say a bit more about themselves, as you kind of do as you're introducing a group of people. And, and what their motivation was for coming, what were their best hopes for the day? And it's so interesting that you get to the end and everyone says, I cannot believe how similar I am to other people, mm. how I thought it was just me who thought about this stuff. I just thought it was me who, who kind of allows myself to get affected um, by, by things that perhaps I shouldn't do. And and just that process in itself allows people to recognise, hey, we're, we're dealing with the human condition here. We're not, we're not dealing with necessarily anything that's that specific to me chances are if you're feeling it there's someone else else out there feeling it as well um and that doesn't need to be a bad thing either no good because uh, i hope people do relate to to me because i've got loads (laughs) (laughs) but but it's half an hour long enough yeah (laughs) (laughs) what i really find fascinating though when when you bring horses into the equation is actually horses can bring out 
uh, and we, we shouldn't call them problems, but, you know, a couple of issues that you might not necessarily know that you've had before. So one thing that horses brought out in me was that I do have anxiety problems. And I actually found that out because when I was riding, the horse would react in other ways. So having a partner like a horse who is sensitive and who does work off your body language and your behaviour means that actually we they mirror us so it gives us an opportunity to then say well what can we do to change about ourselves we all know that when you go down to the field you go down to the yard you have to go down happy or you have to go down relaxed because if you go down angry and frustrated from whatever's happened at work the horse will run away those things are quite simple so now I think we're more inclined to say okay Charlie I'm going to give you a call and say the horse is doing this that's reflecting what I'm feeling how can I change or or help my own mind to Mm. stop this from happening does that make sense yeah it makes makes perfect sense I'm sure it makes sense to everyone listening as well because you use the word mirroring I think it's a great way of putting it Uh, the the, the horse is often a mirror to our own states uh, effectively and the horse will tell us it's why I use horses often as a partner for learning with a lot of corporate groups because the horse really doesn't care if you're the receptionist or the CEO the horse (laughs) will will react to how you make them feel uh, my my in previous life, I was in the army and I remember going through Sandhurst officer training for a year. And one of the first lessons I learned there was around how you communicate with soldiers, the people that you will eventually be leading. As a young platoon commander, I'll be in charge of 30 soldiers. And if you share a plan with them and you go over this plan and, you know, typically the places where we found ourselves, they were quite dangerous. You were potentially asking people to go into very risky situations, maybe even put their life on the line. And no one is going to do that for you unless you exude confidence and you make them feel good about what it is that they have to do. So actually, no amount of knowledge can, can achieve that. We, we can know what the plan is. You can understand what it is that you're trying to achieve. But at some point, knowledge has to be transcended by uh, a state, a kind of a sense of uh, confidence around what you're going to do. And it's therefore no wonder that confidence is the single biggest predictor of performance in sports once that capability is there, which I know it is for a lot of riders um so absolutely it makes sense and i always you know like to think that the horse performs as a function of how we perform if we get our performance right, then the horse will follow suit and you know what even if people talk about horses being unpredictable well we as humans and we know this for sure through research we as humans are far less predictable than horses are we are far more complex in the way that we rationalize or perhaps fail to rationalize things um and horses actually are relatively easy to predict they might react emotionally but they predict they they react fairly predictably uh, emotionally and uh, and therefore, if we had our horse in the room and got the horse to to comment on on how the rider was, you know, they they'd probably be saying, well, you know, it depends which rider turns up on the day. To be honest, mm, that's so true. So, how are we going to utilise this then? If we know that we're unpredictable, does that mean that we need to start having a little bit more consistency with our behaviour? We know th- the likes of Michael Yun, I think, have done something very profound for the sports. Because someone like him has demonstrated consistently 
that it is possible to be uh, totally consistently on your game um, and in your performance. And that actually the horse, as much as they are a living animal with which they are your partner for achieving success, the horse will follow a rider who is hyper-consistent um, and they will achieve, achieve amazing things as a result. So I, I think he's been very important in helping us all recognise quite what the potential is, that if the rider does their job well, the horse will, will follow suit. And there's no easy answer to how we do that. And if there was, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now. Um, because I think it's a bit of a journey that we have to go on. A journey about understanding ourselves, our primary motivations for doing it. Um, what is it that, uh, that, that drives us? What's the story that we tell about ourselves when we're going into competition? Uh, what are our motivations? What are our, what's our mission? What's our purpose? You know, this is quite sort of deep psychology, but it is really important, especially in equestrian sport. And I can say more about that in a second. But, but also, we've got to have that performance intelligence. We've got to simply be able to understand what's linked to what. Our brain works by connections. And sometimes we don't always make the right connections. We'll come out of a dressage test, having done a personal best, having had an amazing experience... And the connection we'll make is that we were wearing our locky socks and therefore that's the reason that, that we achieved it. And of course, that makes no sense. But in the absence of clarity of connections, uh, at performance intelligence around what is really making a difference in my performance, um, we lose confidence, we lose control. And that's where um, our ability, the stuff that we know we can do, gets kind of undermined. How do we make those connections? It's, it's a good question. I mean, I, I have various techniques, exercises that I do with riders. Um, it's quite difficult to sort of uh, explain out loud, but it, it ultimately allows people to, to sort of generate a, a tree of what is it that I'm trying to achieve? And in order to achieve that, um, what are the sort of sub goals that go underneath that? And then by breaking down your performance into smaller chunks, we, we appreciate uh, what are the things that are actually contributing towards performance. It, it's kind of a simple way of thinking and there's nothing at all complicated about it. It follows a very true logic that the, the irony is um, common sense isn't always commonly applied. So you might know that as part of doing your best tests, you need to be relaxed. So going into that arena, you have to be relaxed. We, we never, ever work optimally in a state of tension. You never hear someone coming out of the arena saying, oh, I did a really good round. I was really tense. So we know that relaxation is, is a fundamental part of our own performance. Yet how often do we actually practice relaxation of a fun as a function of our performance? Oh, we know Charlie, that I try. Honestly. <laughs> okay, so this is what goes through my head, okay? Yeah. We know we need to be relaxed. We yeah. know this. So we could try a bit of doing yoga at home. We could try meditation. We could try to relax our brains. 
when I get on that horse and my heart rate starts going up because I know I'm getting nervous, I'm then thinking the horse is going to start reacting. The horse is reacting to my heart rate. I then start panicking because my heart rate's going up and it's going up more. And the whole thing is just like a volcano of explosion of nerves. But I know that I should be relaxed, but I can't get it. How does it end, Amy? that situation um a bit like not having a best test being nervous being tense and um trying really hard to just keep talking through it mm. it's quite so you're tough. kind of it is that sounds really tough it sounds exhausting it to is. be honest <laughs> and and probably what you're doing there is to find more by coping the problem is we're never going to produce our best test when we're when we're simply coping mm. um and performance and and competition shouldn't be about coping sometimes it is you know we've all been there I I was you know I competed internationally myself and and sometimes for whatever reason we find ourselves in a place where it is about coping it is about getting to the end but we have to admit that it's never when we're performing at our best or optimal the thing is you, you strike a really good point there and and I think it's we separate perhaps what we do in training with what we do in competition. We don't necessarily train to compete. We don't train with the realities, the psychological realities of training um, in mind. Even yesterday, I was working with um, some Olympic athletes getting ready for the, the Winter Olympics. Mm. And they are very... They're very clear about their processes. They're very clear about the process of performance, what it is that they have to do in order to get themselves to the best place possible. Some of that's physical, some of that's tactical, and some of it's psychological. And, and they've now brought it together in a really nice blend so they don't necessarily separate those things. But actually, you know, when they are getting slightly anxious, they're able to recognise that in an instance and their breathing immediately kicks in. So they're kind of managing themselves in the process without necessarily losing focus. But actually, once they can do that, we start to stress test those abilities. In other words, it's all very well being able to go to yoga class, practice breathing and come out all zen-like. And that's fantastic. <laughs> that is without doubt a good starting point And it helps educate us on what relaxation feels like. What I want to know is, can you sit on a horse when you are when the implications of being on that particular horse or in that particular situation or in a really small warm up arena kick off the emotional centers of the brain a little bit and they start firing out energy into other centers of the brain and that energy now has to be channeled. Um, and do you then have the presence of mind to actively practice breathing, to practice relaxation, to practice focus? Are you actually clear enough on your plan and have you invested enough time up front to know what it is that you do in that situation mm. such that actually you maintain focus rather than necessarily everything becomes a little bit out of control and overwhelming? So here's the thing. I've been practicing breathing for as long as I've been alive because, you know, <laughs> I'm quite good at it. I'm very good at it. Like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what I mean is, um, you know, anxiety's always been there. So I'm I'm a complex case, I realise this. And this isn't about you helping me. This is about me sharing some of my experiences that I know that some other people have been through as well. So I've learned how to breathe calmly to try and get my heart rates down and my levels down. But what, what I'm finding interesting from what you're saying is 
when I think about what I'm nervous of, it's not actually the competition. Mm-hmm. Actually going and doing the dressage test in my head is fun and I'm really excited and I'm really looking forward to it. And I have a mentality of if I can come out with a personal best, that would be amazing. I know the test, I've done all the preparation, the horse is prepared for that, that little part. That actual little part of the competition is actually quite the small part of the external stresses that go with it because from the first bit you've got to box the horse out there are you going to be able to get the horse back in the box after the competition you're going into a small warm-up arena with 12 other horses how's the horse going to react to that are you going to be able to cope with it and then you go into the test and even when you come out of the test you've got to get him undone and then you've got to put him back in the box so actually I believe a lot of these stresses don't come from the actual performance but it's affecting the performance yeah no absolutely let me take let me take you back to that book that I mentioned the first ever book on psychology I wrote and I I opened the first page and there was this triangle and on either point of the triangle, it had do, think and feel. Mm-hmm. So we can only experience, we can only perform in relation to those three things. There are the things that we're doing. OK, that could be our routines, our discipline. Um, there are the things that we think, i.e. the things that we choose to focus on and hold our attention on at any given point in time. And one fundamental part of that is our ability to be able to focus on what we can control whilst accepting and letting go of the things that we can't control. That does not simply happen in the moment. So everyone understands that principle, but it has to be trained and conditioned as as part of the way that we think. Uh, And then we've got the feeling side of it as well, which is our state, our, our emotions that go with being in that situation. Really interestingly, the way that you describe, and you could almost rewind this and and listen to what you just said, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and what you would hear is this kind of perfect cocktail of thoughts, feelings, and actions. Mm -hmm. But actually, what we haven't done is tried to prize them apart a little bit. Now, the reason that that's important in the work that I do with riders, it tries to prize these three things apart, because by prizing them apart, you realise that you actually have control on those individually. But... What I would say is that, you know what, let's work on controlling how you feel in any given situation. So let's put you let's put you in a high pressure situation and see and focus on the feelings. And let's look honestly about how you start to control those feelings. What do you need to do in order to control? This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Phoenix, okay, and uh, this is quite good because I've got a good biofeedback machine which allows me to monitor people's heart rhythms mm -hmm. that gives me instant feedback on how they respond to tiny little stimuli. And, and trust me, even just thinking about being in competition for some people is enough to raise their heart rate mm. and get their heart beating in fairly chaotic patterns, which is a manifestation probably then of what they're thinking or focusing on. What's interesting is that if we separate how they're feeling with what they're thinking about and say, right, let's focus on changing where you apply your attention. So get them thinking about very simple drills or things that they've been working on with their coach. And suddenly um, they get into a much more coherent state. By coherent, I mean a, a sort of positive emotional state. In other words, their heart rate might still be very high, but it's a much more positive state of mind and a much more focused state of mind. So all we've done there, really, is we've separated the thinking and the feeling elements and started to sort of condition them separately. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's I, I'm probably, <laughs> as with all of these things, um, skimming the surface of this, mm. um, the way that I'm talking about it. But hopefully that kind of makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's really it's, it's quite clever, actually, because I think. We focus a lot on, we're very reactive. And although we might say, yes, we're thinking about it and we plan ahead and we try to condition ourselves to not have these feelings, ultimately, when your horse is spooking and bucking and rearing and just being a bit of a loon and you get through it, your heart rate is up and you're saying, well, well done me, I got through it. And you, I would say that's a positive thought. However, really, underneath, it's a negative thought because you've had a negative experience that's gone with it. We are going quite deep with this right now. Good. Well, <laughs> uh, that's how I like it. So let, let me give you a really good. So some of your listeners may want a, uh, a few tips on what they can do, because what we're yeah. talking about here is conditioning. So no one technique in isolation will help. This is the problem. And if anyone ever suggests that there's one thing, one tip in isolation that will solve all your problems, then you want to question that for sure. Because mm -hmm. we've got to understand the dynamic of, of our mind and, and of our performance. So we, we've now separated thinking and feeling. But this is about conditioning. So we've got to train our brain to be able to think differently about these situations, to see them perhaps more as a challenge rather than a threat And to think much more positively towards, okay, I feel nervous in this situation, but what am I going to do to have a positive impact? Okay, and that takes huge presence of mind. And the more nervous we are, the more difficult it is to think like that. Mm. So one of the biggest mistakes happens on a daily basis. We're actually conditioning the opposite into ourselves. So if we are a bit of a nervous rider, for example... We will get through those nerves. We will fight them. We will cope however way we can. We will get on the horse and we'll go through that process or go through a training session. 
very often we go to the points of which we don't want to go any further or we go to the point of failure yeah we go to the point we, we've done a really good session and we just keep going keep going keep going until the horse can't do it anymore or before we fail or we the performance starts to fall apart a little bit so what happens is that we stop and we either get off the horse in a state of relief in which case we're being rewarded for getting off the horse. Mm -hmm. So then the brain is learning the association with or getting on the horse represents a high state of anxiety. So we're actually conditioning the complete opposite of what good performance looks like into us. One simple thing, and it really is simple, this, is that sometimes I tell riders, look, set a really clear but realistic goal for yourself in any given training session. So Work out what it is that you want to achieve. And you know what? Even if it takes five minutes to do that, in your head, work out what good looks and feels like. And when you've achieved that, even if it is after five minutes, congratulate yourself and get off the horse. Now, the thing is, when I've actually been with people doing this, they've set themselves a goal. And when they feel that they've accomplished that goal really effectively and they've been in quite a high state of focus in doing it, so, right, well done, job done, get off the horse. And they'll say, no, but I don't want to get off the horse. I'm kind of enjoying it. Mm. And to me, that's the whole point. I said, no, get off the horse whilst you're enjoying it because this is exactly what your brain, you want your brain to be mulling over. This is exactly, I'd rather next time you got on the horse, you did it because you wanted to do it mm. rather than because you felt you had to do it or you were fighting some level of fear, anxiety or uncertainty um, in what you were going to do. So we don't always help ourselves hugely um, and we've just got to sort of recognise these effects. Charlie, that's amazing because you've literally described everything that I go through on a daily basis. It, it all is a massive fear and a lot of this comes from the accident. Lots of people have accidents and then it, it, they find it even more difficult to get on. And they, you know the saying, you have to get back on the horse. Quite often you can't get back on straight away because the accident's so bad and that's then throwing in a whole load of other issues and um, and triggers, really. So is there anything that, and I know that you're not going to be able to give one specific tip because everybody's so different, but are there kind of a set of rules that if we're worried about getting back on that we could would kind of help us just make that extra step? Yeah, there are. What I, what I feel tempted to do is maybe kind of share a few ideas, but we wouldn't have the time necessarily to go into them separately, but maybe that can be a follow-up of, of, of some kind. That would be amazing. Yeah, but I, so so there are lots of things. So there's what, what we just described there. Um, for me, the ideal state to be in when you get on the horse is a state of focus and clarity total clarity of what it is that success looks like in the next 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, one hour, whatever it might be. Um, and very often people don't have the presence of mind to have that clarity. It's a kind of right, get in the saddle and then decide what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Mm. Now, we get away with that. That's fine. But over time, over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of repetitions of doing that, we learn that when we get into the saddle, we are not in a, in a focused state. And the reality of it is when we go into that arena and we're trying to produce the dressage tests of our lives, it requires focus. It requires a level of intensity that we need to be familiar with. And so actually by creating goals for ourselves, we should not be scared of setting goals and visualizing those goals. And by goals, I don't mean winning competitions. I don't mean scoring 90% in your dressage tests. 
or going clear around badminton. I mean, uh, uh, achievable goals, day-to-day training goals that we can directly control and focus on. For example, our flat work in between fences or our rhythm going into the fences or cross-country pushing out of every fence. These are what we call process goals that we can do. We just have to consciously focus on them. So we need to be aware of what these goals are before we can get in the saddle so that we get in the saddle every single time in a relaxed state of mind. When we get out of the saddle, in an ideal world, we need to have some sense of pride. Pride is a very powerful emotion for learning. It accelerates the learning process because effectively it generates positive energy through the brain, which makes a connection between, right, if I do that, then I achieve that. Mm. And that's what that does. It supercharges that pathway in the brain, which allows us to learn that a lot quicker Um, It's why praise and focusing on our strengths becomes a really important part of changing our relationship with 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 riding and with um, uh, with competition. And then we've mentioned breathing and relaxation. There are so many levels to this. I mean, I was working on a rider, 10 different levels. Firstly, do you actually know how to relax? Are you even aware when you experience creeping tension? Because if I got you to think about your next session on your horse or your next competition, you may not realise it, but actually tension may start just to develop in the in the back of the neck, shoulders, areas like that. Yes. If we don't have the self-awareness to recognise creeping tension, then we it's impossible to condition ourselves to manage that tension. And it's very easy to do, but we've often got to keep coming back to it. Um and people's performance environments is another one as well. So the people around you mm. play a huge influence on how you experience your riding. Um, and generally, you want people around you who make you feel good, where you experience positivity and clarity, clarity of task, focus. Uh, and very often, I work a lot with professional riders on, on helping build an environment and a team around them that gets the best out of them that can have huge dividends to their performance as well. That could be great because we've talked before about um, about uh, support networks around you, of people that are going to help you and support you. And uh, I've got a lovely friend, Ruby, who comes out with me. She's my, I mean, she's 21, Charlie, and I'm 32, and she's my babysitter. But, <laughs> you know, she'll give me the praise and the support of, well done, you got through that. And then she'll also give me a kick up a bum and say, right, come on, you can canter down there, you can do that. So mm. she kind of gives you the push when you need it. And, and going back to your pride, you mentioned pride. I, I so agree with you because after getting back on my horse, after two months of losing my memory, um, I was shaking like a leaf. I was so nervous. And while we were out on a hack, um, a lady got on a horse got stuck in a bog and we were asked by the police to go and search for her because she was in the New Forest and the police couldn't get to where she was. To cut a very long story short, we all spent two hours cantering around the forest with fire engines and search and rescue and, and this was my first time back on. We found the lady, she was safe, the horse was safe and we came back home and I had this immense sense of pride and I was just completely elated that that we'd done it and we'd canted and we'd got not, it wasn't just about getting through it for the first time ever. I really enjoyed it. So this was your first experience back in the saddle following your fall? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And do you think, do you think if you hadn't been put in that situation, would you have been able to, to, to to do that or to get on the horse? 
not in a million years. It was. It took all my energy to just get on blackjack and go out for a hack. I mean, if yeah. I'd had a school next to me, an arena, I probably would have just ridden around the arena for 10 minutes. I was so yeah. nervous. And again, my support, Ruby, she said, you know, you know, Jimmy, her horse is very relaxed and he's very calm. We'll just go for a little plod. And that was literally, we were going for a 20-minute plod. It was a walk on a trot, yeah. probably not even a canter because... In my head, I didn't couldn't feel I could cope with that. And we were halfway round, and that's when we saw the police officers, and they said, we've lost this lady. And actually, it was me that said, Ruby, we can't leave her. We've got to go and find her. So we went out nice. into the new forest. And, and, and actually, what was interesting is you talk about focus, and we were so, or I was so focused on finding this woman because I've had friends stuck in bogs before. You, you can die. She was up to her waist. Um, I was so focused on finding her that I didn't think about what I was feeling. And I, I think I've had the most wild ride I've ever had in my life. Yeah, yeah that's incredible. I, that, that's such an amazing example of this interplay between the rational centre of our brain, in particular the prefrontal cortex at the front of our brain that's involved largely with aspects of focus, problem solving, decision making. So it's a vital part of our performance brain. And then the interplay between that and the, the emotional brain, the emotional centres of the brain, which, which place meaning on everything that we do. And it's a really great example of how focus has to be present in order for us to overcome anxiety. An amazing study was done in New Zealand where after following the earthquake there um, in Christchurch, there were hundreds of follow-up tremors in the days and have been since mm. in the years following. And they found sort of two different subsets of society, one of whom were very resilient following that really um, tough experience and, and the other of, of whom really struggled. I mean, they would struggle to get on with their day-to-day -day tasks. They would struggle just ordering their usual cup of coffee. Mm. And they wanted to find out what's the difference between people who some of whom have almost become more focused and more effective as people following this earthquake compared to the others who've gone down the other way and have kind of really struggled with their life. And they found that at the top of the, they found a few things, but without a doubt, the top of the list of things that differentiated these two groups was focus and their capacity to stay focused on day-to-day go -day goals and to place meaning on doing simple things really, really well. The problem is, in order to be focused and in that state that you're in, we can't wait for a small disaster to focus our mind. No, no. Because it, it's interesting, take a day-to-day, -day, uh, a typical competition scenario, the equivalent, you arrive late at competition, and you're in the arena in 10 minutes' time. You'd not believe how many people have said they've done their best tests yeah. in that situation. <laughs> We're not trying to arrive late. That clearly isn't going to be the ultimate lesson from this situation. Mm. But it does demonstrate that even with nerves and anxiety... If we can apply focus and, and purpose to what we're doing, if we can, I think, fundamentally ask the question, what's important now? And be able to channel our attention appropriately to something we can control directly in front of us. That trumps everything else. And actually, the irony is that with the additional emotion, with the additional meaning of the situation that, say, you found yourself in, it actually sharpens that focus. It, if you think of emotions, the emotional centre of the brain is applying energy. 
Um, and that's all it is. It's just energy. It's neither good nor bad. It's just energy. If we can apply that energy to focus, to a kind of focused prism, if you like, mm. then actually um, that's when amazing performances happen. Um, it's why we need both positive emotion and focus to do very special things. This is amazing, Charlie. Thank you so much. The good news is that we can be helped. So if we don't have any of those, uh, you know, we don't have the focus, we don't have the positive energy, it means that we can start this journey to help ourselves. And I always feared that I, I couldn't be helped. And now I feel I can be. So thank you. Not at all. Thanks, Amy. How, how can we follow you? Are you on Twitter? Uh, I am on Twitter, uh, at Charlie Unwin on Twitter, and, uh, and an equestrian psychology coach Facebook page as well, uh, okay. Charlie Unwin. So, yeah, I, I tend to, I have to confess, I could be better on those, but I tend to post anything that I'm doing uh, on there and any sort of interesting articles that people might find useful. Um, and certainly I hope to be doing a lot more by way of podcast webinars um, in the future brilliant idea what's your website address as well charlie because you've got some wonderful articles on there it's performancelegacy.com performancelegacy.com and i'm going to ask you if we can pop on some articles on horsehour.co.uk from what we've been talking about today um so that they can read up on maybe your tree that you had that you talked about yeah that that'd be a really good one to have as part of our, i think a podcast where we can kind of get into detail with that because um so many of these tools and techniques that i've kind of maybe brushed over a little mentions um i think it would be worth going into a bit more detail with so um yeah maybe we can do that we can do another podcast that sounds like a great <laughs> idea good. all right we'll do that we'll head to horsehour.co.uk where you can see some more information from charlie and um and i'm glad that we've sucked you into the world of horse hour charlie and uh, you'll be a frequent psychologist not at all it's been fun thanks so much i'll speak to you soon and no worries take care Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like more information from Charlie, then do head to his website, performancelegacy.com, because on there are these great educational videos. Each month, he creates new videos with advice and tips of how you can overcome psychological problems that you've got with your riding. Definitely worth having a look. You can also find more information from Charlie on our website, horsehour.co.uk. And while you're there, why not pop in your email address? because we have so much going on for you. You can catch up with all the latest events. This weekend, we had a photographer in France, in Saint-Lô, because it was the European Horseball Championships. Team Great Britain did very, very well. They had the ladies team, the pro elite team, and the under-16s. So all that's on our website. Plus, it was Hartbury Horse Trials. Now, I'm going to tell you who won. Uh, so if you don't want to know yet, then close your ears just for a second. Kitty King. She won Hartbury Horse Trials. She did amazingly well. There's some great photos on our website and a video as well of her collecting her cup. Uh, Willa Newton. She did really well in the two-star at Hartbury Horse Trials. And then it was also British Show Jumping National Championships. And that went on all week from Tuesday to Sunday. So there's lots of different classes to catch up with that. 
all available under the events section of our website horsehour.co.uk there's also a lot of education on there for you too if you missed last week's uh, podcast episode with dr david ramey then you can catch that also his article on fall inflection tests that's under the education hub the blue cross have written some tips on how to look after your horse so lots for you to be reading while you're on your lunch break and now this is really exciting aaron miller who's a four-star eventer is holding a jumping clinic on tuesday the 29th of august it's only 50 pounds per person that's if you get a group of you three of you um so you can get some friends together and you get to go and visit his state-of-the-art yard in dorset He'll be doing angles, lines and jumping technique. It's a really, really good opportunity and Aaron and the lovely Daisy will be looking after you. They're so friendly. So if you're interested on in going to the clinic, it's Tuesday the 29th of August. Uh, just check them out on Facebook, Aaron Miller Eventing. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget about Horse Hour every Monday night between 8 and 9 on Twitter. It's our networking hour where equestrians from all over the world get to chat. You just have to use the hashtag Horse Hour. And I love to see your photos and your videos of what you've been getting up to with your horse. I hope you have a great week and I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern, by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 